Welcome to Mysteries to Die For, and this toe tag. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is normally a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery. Today is a bonus episode that we call a toe tag. It's the first chapter from a fresh release in the mystery, crime, or thriller genre. Today's featured release is The Algorithm Will See You Now by J.L. Lissette. All right, this is a goodie. We're going to jump right into chapter one. Monday, October 8th, 2035, 7.15 a.m., and we are at Prima, Prognostic Intelligent Medical Algorithms, main campus in Seattle. Dr. Hope Kestrel was the only person who knew the patient in room 132 wasn't responding to the algorithm selected treatment. She shuffled forward in the hospital security line, wanting to get her day started already, yet dreading how she'd tell her patient the unexpected and devastating news. The straps from her work bag dug into her right shoulder as she shifted the trays of coffee and scones in her arms, her usual Monday morning offering to the staff. From Prima's lofty location at the top of Pine Hill, the floor-to-ceiling windows framed downtown Seattle skyline, lit up by the early morning sun, its first appearance in over a week. In the distance, a ribbon of pink sky silhouetted the space needle, the tip poked out of the murky blue of the cloud bank. She frowned down at her pale hands, unable to recall the last time her skin had seen the sun. Even her freckles were fading. Her heart lifted when she spotted Bear, the security force service dog, rounding the corner. The German shepherd dashed for her, pulling Kyle, his security force guard, with him. The people next to her in line stepped back. Bear nosed at her lab coat, and she lifted the pastry box in one hand higher while shielding the cardboard carrier of coffee in the other. Hot liquid sloshed onto her wrist, the sting on her skin not far from the burn in her chest that had been present all morning triggered by the impending meeting in room 132. One, where she still needed to engage on an interpersonal level without the usual buffering layer of technology. Her gaze shifted from Bear to the familiar logo on the wall behind Kyle's head. Prognostic, intelligent, medical algorithms, and shut out the searing pain in her chest. They were so close to her breakthrough to enhance the artificial intelligence even further, to render tumors like her mom's curable. Because to rely on only hopefulness promised everything and got you nothing, no matter her damn name. She had to focus on the big picture. All she needed was to maintain her top ranking for a few more months. Then the coveted post-residency position at Prima would be hers complete with her own research lab. Soon she'd be working side by side with her mentor Cecilia, no longer an underling. Bear gave a muffled woof and sat down obediently at her feet. Although Kaya would probably deny it if asked, she strongly suspected the guard went out of his way each morning to find her, knowing how much she loved Bear. It had been their unofficial routine for five years now. Hope gestured with her elbow, Kyle, can you take this for a sec? The burly middle-aged man accepted the breakfast offerings with a flash of white teeth gleaming in contrast to his warm brown skin. You got it, high resident Kestrel. For the millionth time, she said, you can call me Hope. 
His eyes twinkled. Whatever you say, almost high one. Heat flamed Hope's cheeks, and she tried to cover it with an eye roll. Three months into her final year, she still wasn't used to her lofty title. She'd be called the chief resident, not high resident, at any other program, but Prima had its own language. The loyal dog emitted another stifled woof from his barely contained seated position. Hope fished in her front pocket of her white scrubs for one of the dog biscuits she always carried and tossed the treat to Bear, who snapped it up. Cal returned the pastries and then spoke in a deep, rumbling voice that Hope had come to learn only masked his kindly nature. He sure loves you, Dr. K. He'd follow you anywhere. Have you reconsidered about one of the puppies? She shifted her grip and gave a wistful shake of her head. It wouldn't be fair. I'm never home. So, he said, you'd figure it out. Hire a dog walking surface. And a doggy daycare, too. You don't have to do it on your own. I'd be nothing more than a familiar stranger, she said, who provides shelter and food. Kyle bent down to rub Bear behind the ears, only to glance up and hastily straighten into a military posture, shoulders back. He tugged Bear to his heel, his gaze fixed over Hope's head. The dog sensed his handler's shift in mood, the fur on his neck bristling upward. Hope swiveled, following the direction of Kyle's eyes. More coffee dribbled onto her hand, but she barely felt it this time. A man and a woman in matching black suits and pressed white shirts were staring in their direction. Hope couldn't help but stare back. The man was tall and broad-shouldered, mid-thirties, with angular cheekbones and deep-set eyes, his striking features set off by his onyx black hair. The woman appeared to be of similar age and height, equally imposing, with pale skin, paler than Hope's, commanding eyebrows, and white blonde hair and an identical short haircut to her partner's. Hope's eyes darted to Kyle, who flashed another smile, but it didn't reach his eyes. Are those two? Not regular security forces, he said. They'll notice me deviating from my routine, Kyle grimaced, and letting Bear interact with civilians. But, she said, Kyle dropped his voice. Last week, another disgruntled non-responder tried to get in. A non-responder, a patient the algorithm had identified as refractory, resistant to all known therapeutics, and therefore wouldn't be offered treatment at Prima, or shouldn't, at least. Hope went cold all over. All patient volunteers agreed to abide by the algorithm's determinations in exchange for free health care. What would the guards do if they discovered another non-responder already here, admitted by mistake? On Hope's service, no less. But that wasn't her fault. You're a busy doctor. We shouldn't be holding you up. Kyle tugged Bear away before she could ask him anything more. We'll see you again soon, Dr. K. Before the dog was out of reach, though, Hope hurried to transfer the pastry box to the crook of her elbow, bracing it against her side enough to allow her to extend her hand to trail her fingers in Bear's soft fur. The brief comfort the touch provided would have to last until tomorrow. She rejoined the line to watch the men and women cut through the security checkpoint. Her muscles tightened, and she forced them to relax. She needed to focus. At least medical training had made her a champion of putting extraneous thoughts out of her mind. Compartmentalization for the win. A few moments later, she passed through the security checkpoint and stepped onto Oasis, the on Oncological and Surgical Intervention Success Unit, and its familiar buzz of activity. 
Patients strolled the oval hallway in sunshine yellow robes and plush slippers allocated upon admission. If not for the slim IV poles, they might be in a luxury hotel. The hidden panels in the walls and ceilings secured all medical equipment out of sight. Abby Fuentes, the charge nurse on Oasis for as long as Hope or anyone else could remember, spotted her arrival and trailed her into the break room. Hope wordlessly handed her one of the coffees, and she took a noisy sip while scanning Hope up and down, her impeccably bobbed hair not moving an inch. What's going on with you today? You're late. Hope shrugged. The nurses hadn't yet seen her patient's latest test results, and the part of Hope that feared being perceived as a failure planned to wait until the last possible moment to tell them. Line of security, she said. You know, it's getting slower every day. Abby grunted in assent, taking another greedy gulp and releasing a satisfying sigh. <sighs> With the other hand, she jerked a thumb at a tall young woman who slipped in behind her, wearing the deer-in-the-headlights expression of a fresh intern. Found a present for you, too. The intern took a nervous step forward, twisting her slender hands, the standard-issue white scrubs highlighting her dark complexion. She hunched her shoulders as if out of habit, although it didn't disguise her striking height, a good half a foot over Hope's five foot five. Dr. Kestrel, I'm J.C. Stone, your new intern. She artfully draped a purple scarf around her neck, making her stand out from the conformity of the other residents. The color matched her glasses and complemented her skin tone. Behind the glasses, a fervor shone out of her eyes. She had the restless manner that made Hope think of a coiled spring, filled with potential energy, ready to explode. Before Hope had the chance to greet her, Abby interjected, You forgot, didn't you? What? Hope said, of course not. Abby arched her eyebrows at Hope and then turned to JC. She forgot. Don't worry, she'll still take good care of you. Don't listen to her, Hope steered JC by the elbow. Even though, truth be told, she'd prefer to leave the intern there. But if she left JC in the break room, Abby would ask why. Oh no, she couldn't leave JC behind. She'd have to bring her along to witness her failure. Hope stopped at the workstation in front of room 132 and pulled out her tablet. Out of habit, she did a quick scroll to check her ranking. She stifled a breath of relief to find that she remained on top, with Leech, her main rival, second. Too bad her high resident position didn't give her any advantage in Prima's resident physician ranking system, but she wouldn't want it even if it did. She earned her top place. JC cleared her throat. <clears throat> would, would you like me to activate Osler for you? Osler was O-S-L-R, the online speech and language recognition assistant. But the residents had long since dubbed it Osler, after William Osler, the so-called father of modern medicine. And like most, Hope thought of it as him. He, or it, could be called on from anywhere in the hospital. No, Hope said, I've got it. Each workstation came equipped with a large flat screen that would sneak, sync to their tablets and an optional keyboard, rarely used since Osler responded to voice commands. Hope spoke briskly in the monitor's direction. Osler, open the chart for patient last name Adrano, first name Sean. The AI's masculine voice, with a hint of non-specific accent, flowed down from the ceiling. Good morning, Dr. Kestrel. Opening chart for patron five, six, J.C. cleared her throat again. Did you know Prima decided against a female-coded AI assistant? 
because supposedly doctors of all genders are more responsive to a male voice. Hope gave her an appraising glance. She did know. JC interpreted as permission to keep the questions coming. And why are we calling them patrons, patrons, patrons now? Part of Prima's new marketing plan, Hope said, personalized precision care. Hope channeled her high resident persona, imbuing the words with confidence. At 29, she was probably only a few years older than JC, but most days, her own internship faded into the distant past. Even though inside, a part of her remained a young woman who arrived five years ago in the awe of the AI technology. Apparently, these new interns were harder to impress. She returned her attention to the monitor. Osler, bring up this morning's CT scan. The images appeared. Hope used her thumb and index finger to pinch and magnify one in particular. The largest tumor in the liver, she said, is blocking the bile duct, obstructing the normal outflow of bile, which causes... JC glanced from the images to Hope. Jaundice? But can, can't you stent it? You're asking the wrong question. Can I? Yes, Hope said. I'm a pro at endoscopic stenting. However, should we stent it? That's the more relevant question. Hope addressed the workstation. Osler, what's the prognosis for stenting the biliary obstruction? The stent would relieve the obstruction, but would not add survival time. Primary residence to this targeted therapy is a predictor of refractory disease. Estimated time to death is three weeks. No available interaction can change the prognosis. JC's eyes darted over the image on the monitor. But shouldn't we try, she asked, to stent it anyway? Hope shut off the workstation. You heard Osler, it would be futile. But what if it's wrong, JC asked. Hope forced herself to take a slow breath. The interns never got it at first. Look, she said, it's normal to want to save everyone, but the AI ensures we're using the right treatments on the right people, not ineffective treatments on refractory disease. JC's face fell. Oh, then what do we do? Hope studied the monitor where the Prima Motto had appeared as a screensaver. We optimize so you can flourish. She looked at JC full in the eyes and forced herself to say the words she'd been dreading. The recommendation is to transfer him to Hearth, she said. There's nothing more to be done. JC's head flinched backward slightly. Hearth? Hope nodded. The Hospice and Restful Transition House, our hospice facility. I know, but I don't understand. JC glanced around as if looking for answers before her gaze returned to Hope. To become a patron means Prima tagged him as a responder. The machine learner algorithm matched his data to a therapeutic protocol and assigned him patron status, right? Very good, Hope said. That's a textbook recitation from your first year curriculum. But he shouldn't be here at all, JC said. The very problem that had Hope replaying his results in her head all morning. She told JC the same thing she'd been telling herself, although it hadn't helped. This case is one in 10,000 occurrence. Prima was everything Hope had wanted, the healthcare system she dreamed of, the one she wished she had existed, the one she wished had existed for her mom. The AI kept doctors on track. It ensured she'd be the right kind of doctor and represented her life's work. She struggled to find the words to make JC understand. I know it's difficult, she said, 
but an indi individual with no chance of benefit from a particular treatment should be spared that treatment. Administering tox toxic therapies to a non-responder would be no better than torture. JC's brows drew closer, her face tightening. What if it's a mistake? The algorithm re-examined all options for him, Hope said. It determines which tumors respond to particular treatments and which don't. At a DNA level, Hope paused and then continued in a softer voice. His cancer is incurable. She knew she sounded cold, even uncaring. But how else to keep back the empathy that made it too difficult to do her job? She'd been the one to sign the orders on his treatment. She'd let this happen. Allow him to believe he'd get better when he never would. Now she'd have to deliver the worst news. He was dying. J.C. stared at the floor. Hope forced herself to speak slowly to portray a calm she didn't feel. You don't know how lucky you are, she said. Because of the algorithm, Prima has compressed your preclinical training and you start internships sooner. But that means you've got a lot to learn. J.C. cocked her head. But if something like this happens, can we trust it? A flashback of her mom's chemotherapy wrecked her a flash of her mom's chemotherapy wrecked body played in Hope's mind, and her vision clouded for a second. JC didn't yet understand. Identifying non-responders to spare them the needless suffering of ineffective treatments was a necessity, not only a practical imperative, but a moral one. She needed JC to understand. Don't you see? she asked. The AI frees both patients and doctors from the fallacy of choice. The algorithms are more trustworthy than people. It's like DNA. JC fiddled with her scarf. I don't... DNA doesn't waste time over its choice, Hope said. G doesn't dither about partnering with C, and T doesn't debate endlessly about whether it should partner with A. There are rules to how it all works. It doesn't matter if we want it to be different. Some things we can't change. JC's stance went rigid. So you would trust it with your family? If only Hope's family had been afforded that chance, because Hope had learned the hard way that relying on hopefulness promised everything and got you nothing. She spoke then through clenched teeth. Absolutely. All right, so that is the first chapter of The Algorithm Will See You Now by J.L. Lissette. So let's learn a little bit about J.L. She is a novelist, an award-winning essayist, and a rural oncologist. Mid-career, J.L. discovered narrative medicine on her path back from physician burnout and has been writing ever since. Her first novel, which is what you just heard the first chapter of, chapter of The Algorithm Will See You Now, was a 2023 ScreenCraft Cinematic Book Competition finalist, 2023 Reader's Favorite Bronze Medal winner for the medical thriller category, and a 2023 Maxi Awards finalist thrill thriller category. My goodness, I cannot say the word thriller today. And a 2023 Page Turner Awards finalist, Best Debut Novel category. The prequel, The Committee Will Kill You Now, was released November 9th. All right, let's get on to my review. So, The Algorithm Will See You Now is a medical thriller. 
Dr. Hope Kestrel is the top resident, I guess I should say the high resident, at the most cutting edge hospital in the country where data and algorithms solve medical's toughest challenges. Hope believes, she truly believes, that data-driven science saves people from the pain of ineffective treatments and the illusions of false hope. With one mistake, Hope falls from the top to an outcast, and along the way, she learns that the system she built her career on has been manipulated for profit's sake. Now, Hope has a choice, fade into a sad memory or fight her way back to the top. Bottom line, the algorithm will see you now is for you if you like medical and conspiracy thrillers where a thin line separates reality and science fiction. My goodness, I'm just a little tongue-tied today, everybody. Don't know what's going on. So strengths of the story. The star of the story is the premise. Uh, the book is set in 2020, 2025, no, 2035, extrapolating a world built from the concepts of our current American health system and the potential of artificial intelligence. While reading it, I had thoughts of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, not for the monster, but for the way fiction was used to explore the ideas of what science technology should do and what it shouldn't do. In Lisette's world, DNA sequencing is used to identify which patients will respond to treatments and which ones will not. The non-responders, as they're called, are written off and are all but cut off from a healthcare system, unwilling to invest limited resources in a no-win case. One of the best and most terrifying things about the algorithm we'll see you now is that it's easy to imagine as our future reality. Lisette's experience in the medical industry shines through with the informed construction of the inner workings of the hospital system. This isn't a story about diseases and their treatment, but about the people, the patients, the loved ones, the doctors, and the nurses. The story itself is very well crafted. Standing at the end and looking back, the logic holds. The conspiracy is straightforward, with the question being more about what was done than who did it. There are several high-tension moments, and they seldom resolved, at least the way I expected them to. Where the story fell short of ideal, there's not many weak points in the story. It does take a little time to reveal the main plot and get into the thriller. Whether this is too long will vary by reader. It does give us time to see Hope's normal life and learn about the hospital and the technology, which you sort of need as a foundation to see how everything is going wrong. Uh, because this is a medical thriller, the tension is intellectual rather than physical. Um, so this is a really well-crafted story. I see well why Algorithm was a contender and a winner of so many awards. It's definitely something different than I've read lately. And again, if you love medical thrillers or uh, conspiracy thrillers, you're going to want to pick this one up. The Algorithm We'll See You Now was promoted by Partners in Crime Tours, who represents a network of 300-plus bloggers offering tailor-made virtual book tours and marketing options for crime, mystery, and thriller writers from around the world. Founded in 2011, PICT offers virtual book tour services for well-established and best-selling authors, as well as those just starting out their careers. PICT prides itself on its tailored packages for authors with a personal touch from the tour coordinators. They really do an awesome job. So if you're a writer and looking for another way to get your word out there, uh, give Gina at PICT a call. Um, they do an outstanding job. For more information, check out their website, partnersincrimetours.com. The link is in the show notes. Join us next week for Mysteries to Die For, Season 6, Things That Go Jack in the Night. 
Episode 10 is Jack the Knife by Chuck Brownman. This is one of my favorite stories of the season. I, for one, never saw it coming. Come back, listen to it, and then let Jack and I know whether you figured out Jack the Knife. All right, Jack, it's your turn. Take us out.